and um, uh, we had some major repairs to heating units at Bristol Road. We had uh, high expenses in snow plowing for both locations. And, um, and one of the things we try to do, we've been trying to do this the last two or three years, we're trying to be good stewards of everything that's given. All staff members live modestly, and we try to save money where we can. One of the things that we have been able to do is that our building insurance is about $6,000 per year for both locations. But if we pay it all at once, it's about 10% off. So we can save five or $600 by paying the whole thing. And that's what we have done the last two or three years. But these expenses have left us without any margin. And so we're not behind on anything. We're not stressed. We're, we're, we just need a good offering for a couple of weeks the last Sunday of March, first Sunday of April, we're calling Stewardship Sunday. And you know what we're asking people to do? Nothing that God doesn't say, and that is just everybody tithe. If on one Sunday, every person who calls this church their home would just tithe, I think we'd be fine. And I think that's God's plan to provide for his people. So that's two weeks from today, as well as the first Sunday in April. If you have your Bibles, then let's look at Daniel chapter 7. And I'm going to begin by reading two verses, verse 17 and 18. Daniel 7, verse 17 and 18. These four great beasts are four kings who will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom or be given the kingdom and they'll possess it forever and forever. These four great beasts, Daniel has a vision of four beasts. Give me that picture, these, this would be an artist's rendition of these four beasts as he saw them. If you look up at Daniel chapter 7 verse 3, Daniel sees four great beasts come out of the sea, different from each other. The first was like a lion with wings, verse 4 says. That is the first, and by the way, what I'm going to give you here is fairly accepted among all the churches and denominations and uh, because there's four basic kingdoms, each one following the next. And Daniel sees this. And he's in Babylon at the time. And the first kingdom that ruled the world was Babylon. So it is like a lion, verse 4. And then, verse 5, I beheld another beast. A second one was like a bear. Now, the Persians defeated the Babylonians. That happened about 530 B.C. This bear, in verse uh, 5, 
had three ribs in its mouth or three bones because it had the Persians defeated three big armies before it attacked Babylon. So that's what that means. So Daniel sees the Persians, Xerxes, coming. The third beast is given uh, in verse 6. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings like a bird. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now, the, it was Greece under Alexander the Great that defeated Persia. Persia defeated Babylon. Greeks defeated Persia under Alexander the Great. He had four famous generals. I forget their names, but, but that's the four heads of this third beast, the leopard. And that happened about 480 B.C. And then this fourth beast you find in verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions and a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful, exceeding strong with great iron teeth devoured and broken pieces. This fourth beast was, if you follow historically, chronologically, would be Rome. It defeated the Greeks. And then the Greeks divided up into those four heads. But Rome ruled the world from about 150 B.C., years before Christ, up until the coming of Christ. So God shows Daniel just what's going to unfold in the next half century or in the next half millennia, 500 years of history. And God shows it all to Daniel. It's going to be succeeded by one tyrannical, vicious government right after the other. Now, look at verse 13. And if you would pull us up verse 13. God showed Daniel another government, a fifth one. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions... And behold, look at this. With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is everlasting it will not pass away and his kingdom is one and will not be destroyed. This is a kingdom distinguished from all the other worldwide kingdoms. They're all beasts. This one is the son of man. And if, and if you... If you read through the four Gospels, you will find that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other title, including Son of God, Messiah, Son of Man. And he's connecting himself right back to Daniel 7 prophecy. He's the Son of Man, he has a kingdom. Daniel saw a fifth kingdom that was coming. And by the way, please note again verse 13. Go back up to verse 13 if you would. 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like the Son of Man. Uh, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Now this is not the second coming. He's not coming to earth. He's coming from the standpoint of heaven to the Ancient of Days, that is God the Father. He's coming to God. In other words, he's ascending up, not coming down. This is a kingdom that began when Christ was resurrected and ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me, so go and preach the gospel. This is at the moment of ascension. It is the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of Christ. And it began when Jesus ascended up to the Father. Now, verse 14 again. I want to point out four things real quick about this kingdom. Number one, this kingdom is universal. To him was given, verse 14, dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. This kingdom is not just over one locale. It's not, it has no geographical boundaries. Every kingdom before Christ had boundaries. Babylon, there were boundaries. They ruled here. Now they would extend that throughout the earth, but their basic rule was localized. This goes to all nations, all languages, all peoples. It is a universal kingdom. Number two, look at also again at verse 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's not only universal, it's everlasting. All the other kingdoms ended. You'd have one kingdom that would rise up, it would be ferocious and vicious and it would seem Un, that you couldn't defeat it. And then up comes another kingdom and uh, Greece defeats Persia who defeated Babylon. But here is a kingdom whose head is in heaven. This is a king whose throne is inaccessible to its enemies. And so this is a kingdom which lasts forever. All other kingdoms cease this one never does. Amen. Third, notice a little phrase. This is English Standard Version. His kingdom will not pass away and His kingdom is one. Did you see that? So we call it singular. It's a singular kingdom. His kingdom is one. His kingdom one. It's supposed to be the word is in there. I, let, I, I made a mistake. His kingdom is a single kingdom. And let me say this. There are many denominations. Under his kingship are Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, Pentecostals, some Catholics. Amen. But the one thing that a true church has in common is not its style of worship 
or its peculiarities. It's that Jesus is king. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is. Jesus is what makes a church the kingdom. So we are unified around Jesus. Whatever other denominational barriers may be put up, we just pass right by those and fellowship and throw our arms open to everybody where Jesus is the king. This kingdom is one kingdom. Now all other kingdoms of men, you'll find they are diversified. They split into political parties. Amen? And they hate one another. This kingdom... Has, does not divide up into racial classes, educational division, or culture. This kingdom has one common denominator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fourth, look at verse 17 and 18 once again. This is our text. These four great beasts are four kings who will arise out of the earth... But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. Well, I thought, the, I thought the Son of Man received the kingdom. He goes up to receive a kingdom, and there's given to him dominion, a kingdom, over all nations. And, but in verse 18, it says, the saints receive the kingdom. Well, who's getting the kingdom? And here's the fourth thing about the kingdom. Give me, the next, give me those four things real quick. It's a delegated kingdom. This kingdom that has been received by Jesus Christ, He turned around and delegated it to His people. He, let, he has ordained it and authorized it to go and be dispersed among His people. As they are, we are stewards, the King is in heaven... We are His body on the earth. He has delegated its work and its purity and its doctrines to us. He says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail and I give to you the keys of the kingdom. See, we have the keys to it. It's his house, but we got the keys. We have access. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Amen. So we this, this great honor, this great privilege of having the kingdom... We're not only in it, we own it. <laughs> Amen. It's been delegated. It's been handed off to us. You know, in uh, uh, being the athlete that I was growing up, uh, I, I played football. Everybody wants the ball. You want to run the ball. I never got the ball. They'd put me on the left-hand left side to be a blocker. They'd put me on the right-hand side to be a blocker. They'd put me on the bench to be an observer. I never got the ball. One day I, I was in, and they wasn't going to give me the ball, 
but I was on the left-hand side of the quarterback. And I thought to myself in this very important game, I'm going to get that ball. So when the center hiked the ball, I ran in front of the quarterback and intercepted the football from my own team. <laughs> Which I think resulted in my own team tackling me. <laughs> Wait a minute, what is he doing? They were so mad. That's why I took up basketball and became a star. I had to quit football. But everybody wants to run the ball. Let me tell you, what he has given us the kingdom means he has handed the ball off to us. We are the ones who advance and enhance the kingdom of God. We receive it. Now, if this kingdom is to go into all the world, how do we advance it like that? How do we run the ball? How do we move it forward? How do we move it down the field? And I want to give you four quick things with the time I have left here. On Here's how we advance the kingdom. Number one, by prayer. Matthew 6.10. Jesus said, pray like this. And one of the things he said was, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the kingdom to come into the earth and spread in me, in my family, uh, in my neighborhood, through us. Lord, let your kingdom, let, let heaven's will, let the atmosphere of heaven, love and joy and peace, let that come. Not the beastly kingdoms. I, I, I don't want to be a lion and a bear and a leopard. I want to be the, like the son of man. This is a humane king, human humane kingdom distinguished from those kingdoms I want to be I want to have a kingdom and be a, a channel of kindness courtesies blessing benefit profitability and helpfulness so we pray for that number two we advance the kingdom by casting out demons or pushing back on the powers of darkness Matthew 12, 28. By the Spirit, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. By pushing back against the powers of darkness. See, there are evil spirits. Satan is like a lion walking through the earth seeking whom he may devour. Well, they devour us. They oppress us. They push against us. They push us down. They, they cause, bring us into bondage. Well, praise God, we have the keys to the kingdom and we can push back against these evil spirits and we can intentionally inflict pain upon them by casting them out and throwing them off of territory that they are not authorized to have. Somebody say Amen. We're authorized. The kingdom is ours. And, and no devil can stay on it. 
He's an interloper. He's a squatter. Out you go. You don't pay the mortgage. Not one devil has ever made a payment on my mortgage so he don't get to stay in my house. I like that. I'm going to write that down and use that again. <laughs> a third way we advance the kingdom is by teaching God's word. The scripture is called in Matthew 13, 19, the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. Matthew 13, 24, he said, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. That's what the kingdom's like. And the, the seed is the word. And you sow it in a field. And he's talking here symbolically about people as a harvest field. And you put the word out there and it'll produce fruit. It'll, it'll come up sooner or later. Seeds can last for centuries. Over in Israel, a sapling from a palm seed that they estimated was maybe 2,000 years old was planted in 2005 and is now three feet tall. That sapling was, a, was just a seed, but it had life in it. But in order for that to come out, you have to sow it. This word has life in it. You sow it, it'll produce an effect. So next Sunday, we're going to sow the seed. I'm going to preach on the most shocking verse. And when I read it to you, you're not going to be shocked. But in the first century, they were absolutely stunned by it. And I'm going to preach on that next Sunday. So y'all come and bring somebody. But it's sowing the seed. That's what we're going to do next Sunday morning. For every person who is here, we're going to put the seed into the ground and pray that it comes forth. Number four, and lastly, it's it, the kingdom spreads and is advanced by an invitation. <laughs> you, you figured on this one. Matthew 22 Verse 1, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Notice that the kingdom of heaven is like this. He says, a wedding for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the feast. They were invited. Invitations spread the kingdom, make it bigger and honorable and more glorious to the king, to the king's son. Matthew 22:9 says that they didn't respond, many of them didn't respond, so he said, "Go therefore to the main roads and invite no to invite to this wedding feast, which is like a kingdom, as many as you find. So you're, you're probably going to invite somebody next week and they, they don't come. It's okay. He said, that's the way the kingdom is. 
You invite one person, they don't come. You invite another person, they don't come. You invite another one, and they show up. But invitation, and studies show that the number one thing that brings people to church is not the preaching, it's not the church building, it is the invitation of a friend or family member. So he has given the kingdom to Christ who has given it to us or or he has delegated it to us. All other kingdoms become tyrannical. This kingdom is humane. It's human. It's the son of man. All other kingdoms pass away. This kingdom is permanent and eternal. This is a kingdom you can invest in, folks. Here's where you put your life. All other kingdoms separate and divide into clamoring, competitive political parties. This one is unified under Christ. All other kingdoms have a government of the elite who lord it over those under them. This kingdom is given to the Son of God and then He humbly gives it all to us. What an incredible passage this is. So how do we get people into this kingdom, let them know about it? Well, that last thing was we invite them to come. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The Spirit... And the bride say, come. Notice it's not, we know the Holy Spirit has to draw them. So he says the Spirit. But then he says, and the bride, the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come. So let us join with the Spirit. We know the Spirit's going to invite people. Let's join with the Spirit in saying to family and friends. Come, come, come. It's an invitation. This Saturday night, if you can join us for prayer at 7 p.m., I'll be here to pray. 7 p.m. We'll pray for the service and pray for those invited. This Saturday night at 7 p.m., we will ask God to keep back evil spirits And help us overcome whatever obstacles get in our way. We this week, we will be sending out mail outs. We will be putting it on Facebook. We will be putting it into a personal invitation. Join me in that. You know, one of the things we don't normally do here is ask people to come come down and, and shake my hand and or have a personal invitation. You know what we're doing? This is, uh, sometimes people say, why don't you give an invitation? This is an invitation. I'm saying, why don't y'all give an invitation? (laughs) Let's all give an invitation. But we're going to try to contact everybody on our mailing list, and many that are not, in order to get them to come. I was thinking about the other day about Noah. And I thought, what did Noah really ever do? 
he, well, it says in Genesis 5.32, it says that he was 500 years old when God told him to build the ark. You live 500 years and do nothing? What did he do 500 years? Okay, after 500 years, he built the ark. And then what do you read about him? Nothing. He lived almost a thousand years. He did one thing. He built an ark and saved his family. And so, here's a man that lived a thousand years and really about the only thing he did was he built an ark and here's what it says in Hebrews eleven seven: He constructed an ark in the fear of God. He constructed an ark to the saving of his household. He saved his family. Now, you know, people are heroes for a lot of things in our culture. In God's book, you can live a long time, but if you can save your family, you're, in, you're a hero to God. Hebrews 11 is what people have done, the mighty things of faith. Abraham had a son when he was 100 years old. Top at. And Abel was the first one to give up his life. He was the first martyr for the faith. And Moses is listed in Hebrews 11. That's just one great hero after another. Moses brought Israel out of bondage, a whole nation. What did Noah do? He saved his family. So he is listed with those people who had these awesome opportunities and mighty deeds of faith. He's put right there with them. And the only thing he did in a thousand years was he got his family saved. This week, let's invite, let's intercede, let's pray. Let's contact and let's come in here next Sunday morning and have a glorious service in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, we feel so privileged to be part of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the kingdom that we're in, one of sweetness and beauty and and one of kindness and grace. We thank you there is such a kingdom in the earth like this, different from all the kingdoms of men. God, help us, I pray, to invite people into it, to bring people into it. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's worship this morning with our tithes and our offerings.